guys want to open your Bibles to 1 Kings, um, we're going to spend, I believe, looking at my notes, the entire time in First and Second Kings. Um, if I get a crazy hair, I might, we might flip over to the New Testament. But for now, it'll be First and Second Kings. You know, sometimes uh, we talk about, you know, maybe a bad thing is done with good intentions. You know, somebody had really good intentions and said, "Well, I'm I'm going to do this because I really want to help." I want I want to do something good, and the activity or the the thing they do is just not something that's good. It doesn't help. Maybe it hurts. Um, but then there are other times where there there aren't good intentions. I mean, the intentions behind the action are just bad from the start, and uh, that's what we read. James read in our reading this morning in First Kings chapter twelve. Um, if you want to turn over there, we'll, re- we'll reference that text a little bit. I won't read those verses again, but those verses 26 through 33. Um, you know, there, w- there was no intent in, in Jeroboam's heart that says, wow, you know, I really need to help the people of Israel. Now that the kingdom is divided into two, I need to help the people of Israel draw closer to Jehovah. That wasn't his intention. I mean, we're, we're, we don't have to be judges. We're told... In the text, God sees the hearts of men. So God revealed to us what his intentions were. Um, his intentions were to keep power. He, he, I mean, he's, you know, politically he's not a, a fool, right? Um, Jerusalem is not within his borders. And yet, that's the only place God commanded worship. So he thinks to himself, well, this isn't going to last very long. Everyone in Israel is going down to Jerusalem to worship. Pretty soon they're just going to go back to Rehoboam. And then they'll kill me. And you know, they'll say, what, what need do we have of a king in the north? We're all going to Jerusalem to worship. <coughs> so he set up the calves, right? The golden calves in Bethel and Dan. And he, he makes the claim that echoes, you know, the claim of the Israelites in the wilderness. Behold, Israel, your God who brought you out of Egypt. You wanted to lay your eyes on him? Well, here he is, these two golden calves. Um, There's no need for you to go. In fact, I think it it says, yeah, verse 28. This is, I found this kind of humorous. It says, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. I'm really doing this for you. (laughs) Jerusalem's a long way off. Yeah, you may have made that trek in the past, but now you don't have to. I'm making life easier for you. Instead, you can go all the way north to Dan, right? which for many people would have been much further than going to Jerusalem. But he set one up in Bethel. So he's just more, he's, he's, he's more accommodating than Jehovah is. Right? Jehovah says there's one place for the whole country. Now the country's divided into two. And now I'm going to create two more. So there's three places. You know, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like the cities of refuge, right? God placed three west of the Jordan and three east of the Jordan, right, to kind of make it easy for people to get to. Well, I'm just following that principle. I mean, his intentions really aren't noble. I mean, we're, and we're told that. And this creates a, a mess for Israel and Judah for hundreds of years. For a long time. But 
you know, this didn't originate. This idea didn't really originate um, with Jeroboam. I mean, we talked about Israel in, in the wilderness, you know, having this golden calf. But if you turn back to chapter 3 of 1 Kings, you see, I think you'll see something surprising in Solomon. Well, for me it was surprising. I mean, I guess if you think of the later Solomon, maybe it's not surprising. But this is the young Solomon. If you look in chapter 3, this is the time where what's famous in chapter 3 is Solomon's request of God. God says, what do you want? I'll give you anything that you ask. Right? And Solomon doesn't ask for long life, doesn't ask for riches, doesn't ask for the lives of his enemies. He asks for wisdom. And God says, because you asked for that, I'm going to give you more than that. I'm going to give you power and honor and riches because you asked for wisdom. And that's how we like to think of Solomon, right? And that's true. I mean, that's a true story of Solomon. Um, but if you look earlier in chapter 3, look in verse 2. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Verse 4, Then the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Now, it's maybe a different study all in itself, but it's interesting that God comes to him at Gideon in the dream and says, what do you want, right? This is verse 5. It's where the Lord appeared to him. On this high place, he's offering these, these offerings. But if you go to the end of the chapter, after the dream, right, he goes down to Jerusalem and he offers sacrifices. I found that kind of interesting as well. Yeah, there's no house built for God in the time of Solomon, but there was an altar built in the time of Moses. And it had poles for carrying it around. And it had a place for it to be stationed. And there was a place to offer sacrifices, and that place was Jerusalem. So even Solomon, we're not actually told his intentions, good or bad here. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Say his intentions were good, right? Even Solomon was making sacrifices and offerings on these high places. So, I mean, you could say Jeroboam just sort of expanded the idea. Said, well, well, we'll build houses on the high places. We'll put some golden calves on the high places. And as I said, this became a problem for a long time in Israel. Even the kings, and this is the point I want to make here. We'll, we'll look through a, several verses in First and Second Kings here. Even the quote-unquote good kings that say their heart was given fully to follow the Lord. That phrase is used of those kings. They did not take down the high places. Let's look at a few of those. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 15. This is Asa.
First Kings chapter 15, and turn down to verse, oh, let's look, verse 11, we'll start in verse 11, all right, we'll start with the good, right, Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father, verse 12, he also put away the male cult prostitutes from the land and removed all the idols which his fathers had made. He also removed Mecha, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image and burned it at the brook Kidron. Verse 14. But the high places were not taken away. <coughs> Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly devoted. Right? God is telling us Asa's heart is wholly devoted to the Lord. But he also records for us there's something he left out. There's something he didn't do. He didn't take down the high places. He doesn't give him a pass and say, well, I'm not going to bring that up. Because Asa was, he was wholly devoted to me. So I'm not going to mention that he didn't take down the high places. Asa's a king in Judah. He's not a king in Israel. Why are there high places in Judah? Well, when Jeroboam set up those high places, Rehoboam did the same thing in Judah. He set up high places all over the country. He followed the same example. And here we are now, Asa is doing this. Tearing things down, but he's leaving the high places. All right, let's look at another one. Um, chapter 22. 1 Kings 22. Verse 41. Now Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, became king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old and he became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelah. Verse 43. He walked in, in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now I think there, there's, a, there's a little bit of a slightly different color added here. It's his responsibility to take them down, but because he doesn't, it becomes a stumbling block for whom? The people. Right? It says the people continue to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings there. Alright, let's turn over to 2 Kings chapter 12. 2 Kings 12, start in verse 1. In the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did right in the sight of the Lord all his days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Verse 3, only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Turn over to chapter 14, verse 1. In the second year of Joash, son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoadan. Of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not like David, his father, did according to all that, all that Joash, his father, had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. 
These are good kings, people. These are, this is not Jeroboam. This is not Manasseh. This is not... I mean, the Holy Spirit has recorded for us to read today that the hearts of these men were given to Jehovah. But the Holy Spirit is recording right next to that in the same breath that these men did not take down the high places. And because they didn't take down the high places, the population was engaged in wrong practices. Let's look at a couple more examples, and then we'll move on. The next chapter, chapter uh, 15. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, second longest reigning. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. People still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Same chapter. So down in verse 32. 2 Kings 15, verse 32. In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old and he became king. He reigned 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. This is a broken record, right? Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. I mean, you get a real appreciation for the patience of God when you go through this. I mean, does God have the power to go down there and squish these little high places with his finger? And say, no, I don't want that. Of course. But God's purpose isn't to get rid of high places. God's purpose is to get men's hearts right. So he leaves them there. Even when these men's hearts are given to him, he wants them to tear down those high places, and they just don't do it. Until Hezekiah. And I want to I want to spend a little bit of time looking at Hezekiah. Chapter 18, 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 18. <clears throat> Begin in verse 1. Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord. According, and listen to this. This is a slightly different phrase, right? According to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. Listen to this. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Finally, right? We finally come to a king who's willing to tear down these high places. Do you know how long it took? I, I, I've gone through and tried to do the math. Here's the best I can come up with. From the end of Jeroboam's reign to the beginning of Hezekiah's reign, it's about 209 years, 210 years. The United States will turn 240 this year. Can you imagine a false practice being instituted in the year 1800 and someone just finally attacking it today? What would you think? You'd think, well, this person's just kind of in the fringes. They're attacking something that's been around 200 years. You know, why don't you, everyone else accepts it. Why can't you just leave well enough alone? I mean, that gives it some context, right? And if, if you go back to Jehoshaphat and Asa, and you look in Kings and Chronicles, you look at both accounts, there were some high places that Asa and Jehoshaphat tore down. They didn't tear them all down. They took down some of the ones around Jerusalem. But not in all of Judah. So if you go to the end of Jehoshaphat to Hezekiah, it's 150 years. So for the last 150 years, no one has tried to take down a high place anywhere. And now this king is doing it. Hezekiah was from a different cut. He clung to the Lord, it says. Now there's something interesting that happens in, in here. In this chapter, in 2 Kings 18. Assyria... During Hezekiah's reign in Judah, Assyria comes and carries off Israel into captivity. Hezekiah is ruling in Jerusalem when Assyria comes, attacks Samaria, and carries them off. Right? This is fulfilling the prophecies against Israel that they would be taken off. Right? And now Assyria has come to Jerusalem. And Hezekiah is king in Jerusalem. And if I were king, I would be thinking, well, you know, God's been prophesying for the last 200 years about all these high places, about all this false teaching. Maybe we're going to. You know, maybe we're going to be carried off to. I don't know. It's in his hands, right? And we know Isaiah comes and gives Hezekiah some comfort and some confidence. But this is scary. Assyria has already taken Israel. So let, let, let's look down in verse 19. 2 Kings 18, verse 19. We'll start reading there. Then Rabshakeh said to them, this is the Assyrian who's come to Jerusalem and is trying to convince them not to put up a fight, really. Say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria. What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words, I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom do you rely, that you have rebelled against me? Now behold, you rely on the staff of this crushed reed, on Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it. So is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who rely on him. 
But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord, or we trust in Jehovah, our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away? And has said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Do you see the misunderstanding of how to worship God has even gone out to the Gentiles? That when the Gentiles hear of Hezekiah tearing down all these high places, their reaction is, he's insulting Jehovah. The king who rules in the land of Jehovah is insulting Jehovah. He must be, because he's tearing down all these altars that are obviously, obviously meant to glorify Jehovah and offer praise to him. You have to remember, and that's why I brought up the context of how long it's been, you have to remember how long it has been since anyone even attempted to tear down a high place. It was Jehoshaphat, 150 years, and he didn't tear all of them down. Even the king of Assyria knew about the high places in Judah and that they were there for the purpose of serving Jehovah. So men had ascribed spiritual significance to these high places for a long, long time. So much so that they had taught unbelievers that this is how you serve Jehovah. And then when cleansing comes, when return to truth comes, what happens? Those unbelievers say, well, you're not serving Jehovah. You're undoing the ways to serve Jehovah. You're turning away from Jehovah in the midst of Jehovah's land, right? They thought of gods as regional gods. This is Jehovah's part of the world. You don't do that. You don't tear down his high places. But had God ascribed any significance to those places? No. The charge against these good kings, the only charge God leveled against many of these good kings, the one thing was they didn't tear down the high places. There's your chink in the armor, Asa. There's your chink in the armor, Jehoshaphat. You won't tear down these high places. My challenge is this. False practices can be enshrined and practiced and overlooked for hundreds of years if people aren't willing to go back to God's word and find out what he really wants. Now, we have a lot more revelation at our disposal than maybe some of these kings did, but at the same time, these kings had inspired men walking among them showing up on their doorstep, telling them that judgment was coming, face to face. We have that same thing in the scripture. We need to be 
vigilant in our own lives, personally, individually. That when I say or I think or I believe that I'm doing something in the name of Jehovah, that I really am. And not take it for granted because that's what mom did. Or that's what grandma did. Now, mom and grandma may have done the right thing. But you need to know that. My favorite king is Josiah. He's the great-grandson of Hezekiah. I mean, if I was going to ascribe a chink in the armor to Hezekiah, it would be that he didn't train his son. Because Manasseh was the worst king ever. Period. When God comes to Judah and says, I'm judging Judah, he names Manasseh as the reason. Multiple times. I'm coming after you because of Manasseh. That was Hezekiah's son. So generations can be affected by our influence or our lack of influence. I think one of the reasons Josiah became king at such an early age was, well, I think him becoming king at such an early age, eight years old, was one of the things that helped him. Because his dad, Ammon, Manasseh's son, was just as bad. He walked in all the ways of Manasseh. But he was killed when Josiah was eight. So maybe that helped him. My point in that is, we don't look to our parents to say, well, everything they're doing is wrong, or everything they're doing is right, or our grandparents. We don't look to the people around us as our litmus test. We do what Josiah did, which is you go clean out the temple, you get it ready for worship, and oh, you find the law. And then you read the law, and you realize the gap between you and God. That's what we have to do as individuals. Go back to God's word and say, where's the gap? What gap between me and God am I feeding? Right? Where am I widening the gap between me and God? Where am I hardening my conscience so that I can continue in this rebellion that's been going on for years and years and years? That's what Hezekiah and Josiah did. They didn't just turn a blind eye to it. They said, this is a gap. This is what God expects, and here's where we are. We have to change. If we can do that as individuals, then we will do that just by nature as a church. We won't look to other congregations. We won't look to other movements. We won't look to other individuals. as our litmus test for our approval. Well, we're on the list of so-and-so. So that means we're, we must be a good church. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. And look what happened here. Hezekiah must be a bad king because he's torn down the high places of Jehovah. That's what the king of Assyria thought. You're crazy. Tearing down the high places of your own God. But he was doing what was right in Jehovah's eyes. We have to have that same attitude. That I'm going to cling to God. And when I find high places, I'm going to tear them down. Even if people say, well, you're acting against God. If I know that I'm not, well, then I teach them. I show them. 
but we don't let that stop us. I think that's how this teaching should be used first, is a mirror. But at the same time, another thing that Hezekiah did that I really respected was when he restored worship in the temple in Jerusalem, he sent couriers through Judah and Israel, inviting everyone to come to the Passover. said, this is what God wants. We're reinstituting the Passover. You should come. And a few did come from Israel as well as Judah. And instead of celebrating the Passover for seven days, they celebrated it for 14. I mean, they celebrated according to the law, but then they said, we're going to stay another seven days. And they stayed another seven days. We have to be willing to teach people who claim to be servants of Jehovah. If they are building high places or ignoring high places. Josiah tore down high places in the land of Israel. I mean, there's no king up there at that time. They've been carried off. But he didn't just satisfy himself with... He went up in... Israel, and he fulfilled a prophecy that was made in Jeroboam's time. In Jeroboam's time, when the high places were first built, a prophet went from Judah up to the high place in Bethel and said, Josiah, a king, is going to come here and he's going to burn the bones of your prophets on this altar. Josiah did that. He went up to that high place, he dug up the bones of the prophets that were buried there, burned them on that altar. We have to be willing, if someone says, yes, I'm serving God, to say, okay, well, then I see this that looks to me like a high place based on this scripture. Now, someone who doesn't want to serve Jehovah, well, I mean, there's no reason to appeal to that person. Hezekiah didn't invite the Assyrians to come to the Passover. He invited the children of God to come to the Passover. There are people, and there were some in Israel who came, there are people who serve Jehovah and do not see the high places in their lives. And I may be one of those people. I mean, I could be one of those people. And if I am... God's put the responsibility on you, as well as on me, to point it out to me. Say, hey, Richard, you've set this up. And God says, do it this way instead. We have to be willing to have those conversations with people. But we can't have those conversations unless we've looked in the mirror. We have to look in the mirror. We have to be willing to be corrected by God's word. We have to be ready to take what some would consider crazy action. What even the Gentiles would consider crazy actions in order to be pleasing to God. That pleased God. Hezekiah, when he became ill, Isaiah came and told him, get your house in order, you're going to die. He prayed and cried, and before Isaiah had left the courtyard, of the king's house, God told Isaiah, go back and tell him that he's going to recover. 
He was given 15 more years by God, just by God's mercy. That's, that's the attitude God had toward this man. And I think we're shown, and Hezekiah had his faults, but we're shown that Hezekiah's attitude toward serving God is the one we should have. And I think it had an impact, at least later on Josiah. So think about those, those things. If you know of something in your own life that you don't need someone to point out to you, that you have just kind of said, well, it's there, and I know it's there, and I'm just not going to deal with it. Deal with it now. You will not be among a better group of people to deal with that than you are right now. Um, that's, I believe, one of the reasons churches were created by God's design. Is when we need help, we have help. So if you have something that's in your life that you've tried to deal with on your own, it's not been successful, there's something you just don't want to deal with on your own, let us know here. Let, or let someone know here. And if I have set up some high place, I won't appeal for everyone, but I'll make an appeal for myself. If I have set up some high place that you guys see, be gentle, but tell me. If I'm ignoring it, you shouldn't, right? Tell, tell me about it. Because um, I don't want to create an instance where hundreds of years later people are doing something because Richard did it. Going down the wrong path. Right? Thanks for your time and your attention.